Good morning, and happy Thanksgiving. Hope everybody had enough to eat over the weekend, did, did you? All right, well, great. Well, we're glad you're with us this morning for the first Sunday of the Advent Conspiracy. We have been so excited about this new worship series that we're kicking off, and today's service is going to look just a little bit different than normal uh, because we are going to be talking about something that we do each and every week, but I want to talk about it in the perspective of Christmas. The Advent Conspiracy is made up of four basic things. The first one is to worship fully. Spend less, give more, and love all. So today we're going to focus on worshiping fully. You know, Christmas primarily is about worshiping God. It is about what God has done for us in sending his son Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, that we could have life and have it eternally and abundantly in him. And so Christmas is a time when we should set our hearts towards him. But do you realize that in America this year, the average Christian, the average church-going Christian will spend one hour a week in worship and five hours a week shopping. So as Christians, it's time for us to say, what are we doing at Christmas time? What is Christmas really about? And how can we better reflect the meaning and the message of Christmas to everyone in the world who is watching? You know, we call this time of the year Advent. Advent is the, are the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Sunday. It's called Advent. And Advent means longing. Advent means waiting. Do you know that when God made you, he made you for a purpose? And the purpose for which he made you was to worship him. That's what that longing inside of our hearts is, is to worship God and to worship him fully. So when we talk about Advent, we talk about the longing of our soul. The greatest longing of our heart is to worship the one who created us and who loved us and who has redeemed us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want us to talk a little bit about worship, and I want us to talk about it before we actually sing. Uh, Because for many of you, many of us, when we think of worship, the first thing we think about is music. Uh, Worship and music have sort of become synonymous in our minds, and music plays a significant and an important part of our worship. It's something we do as we gather here each and every week. And maybe you've wondered, if you're not a musical person, you've been perhaps wondering, why do we sing? Why do we have to sing? I I know some of you who uh, stand there and you look like you endure some of the singing. Maybe you think, I don't have a very nice voice. I don't want to embarrass myself. But why is it that Christians insist upon singing when we get together? Well, I want to share with you three basic things that music does for us in worship. The first thing is music focuses our hearts and our minds. It focuses our hearts and our minds on God. It causes us to think about things that are are perhaps not in our regular routine of thinking. The second thing it does is it helps us to remember. How many of you, when you hear a Christmas song or you hear an old song on the Oldies channel, uh, maybe uh, maybe your mind goes back to a prom, a senior prom, or an event? Anybody have an experience like that where every time you hear a particular song, you think of a particular place? Music helps us to remember things. It becomes like a memory peg, things you hang memories on. So music helps us to remember. And the third thing it does is it draws us together. Think about this. Where is it in America, where is it in culture and society today that people sing together? It's not very many places. You go to a baseball game, in the seventh inning, everybody stands up and sings what? Take me out to the ball game. It's it's a familiar song. Everybody sings it. Now, granted, in that situation, some people have had a little too much to drink, and that makes it a little more tolerable. But but they, they get together, they sing, they sing that. Where else do we do it? We sing the national anthem together, don't we? 
Uh, Because even though we may have political differences, we may come from different backgrounds, have different experiences, we we share a common love for our nation, and so it draws us together when we sing the national anthem. Another place where we sing, and one of the only other places we sing in our culture, is in church. Because we have a common belief, we have a common set of principles and values, and when we sing, we do it together to draw our hearts and our minds together. But do you know, music in the church in the last 25 years has done more to divide the church than it has to bring the church together. Many times uh, you've perhaps heard of the phrase, the worship wars. Anybody heard of this phrase? Where, where you've got people who like particular kinds of music as opposed to a different kind of music or genre of music. And so it causes us many times in churches to be divided. So I want to talk about a couple ways that music is a distraction from our worship. Because first of all, I think in our culture today, music has become a commodity. A commodity. What do I mean by a commodity? A commodity is, a commodity is something that you own. It's something that you buy and you own it. Think about this. Uh, Today, if you want to listen to a song, you go online and you spend 99 cents and you buy the song and you download it to your device and you own that song. You have a playlist of music that you like. You don't even have to tolerate the playlist the radio stations choose for you because you can set up your own playlist list and listen to the music that you want to listen to. Music has become a commodity and hasn't it become something that just exemplifies our consumer mentality? That we own this. This is something we own and we choose what we listen to based on what we like. And music has moved from something that we create together to something that's produced by professionals. From something that people would get together and they would make music together and it would be a community experience to something instead that the professionals do. This feeds into our, our entertainment culture, doesn't it? Our entertainment culture where we expect professionals to be the ones to produce music. And what do we do as worshipers? We sit and we consume it. We listen to it. We evaluate it. We decide if we like it or not. So music has moved from something that we create together to something produced by professionals. But when it comes to worship in church, perhaps we should be asking ourselves, what does God want from me in worship? What is it that God wants from me? See, for many of us, we come to worship and we expect to get something from it. I come to church and I expect to get some music that I like that maybe will give me a warm, fuzzy feeling. Or I expect to hear a sermon from which I will learn something. But that's not what worship is about. Worship is primarily about bringing honor and glory to God. And so as we come into worship, the first question we need to ask is, what is it that God wants from me? If I limit worship to what makes me feel good, then God is not the object of my worship. I am the object of my worship. And the Bible calls that idolatry. If I come here to think, what did I get out of this experience in worship? Then I'm placing myself above the person that I claim to worship. So what does the Bible say about music in worship? If you, have a, if you have a copy of the scripture, I invite you to open to Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15, verse 3. Just one little verse, but it's an important verse because it gives us an insight into what kind of songs we'll sing in heaven. 
Now, if you're not familiar with what we believe at Southside as far as church and worship goes, we believe that church and worship in church is supposed to be a reflection, a foreshadow of what heaven is going to be like. So it would be important for us to understand and know what do they sing in heaven. Listen to what it says in Revelation 15, verse 3. And they were singing the songs of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Two different kinds of songs, and I want to describe each of them to you for just a minute. The song of Moses is a song of remembrance. If you go back and you read in Exodus chapter 15, you'll read how God had delivered the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He had delivered them across the Red Sea, and then as they were on the other side of the Red Sea, when the Egyptians got down in the Red Sea to follow after them, the water Uh, poured down over them and drowned the enemies of God's people. God rescued and redeemed them. And they sang a song on the other shore. And from that moment forward, they continued to sing that song every time they gathered together because they wanted to remember what it was that God had done for them. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, you're told, the children of Israel were told to keep singing songs of remembrance, to remind your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren all the great things that God has done. You see, the song of Moses is a song of remembrance. It's a song to say, what is it that God has done? Not just in my lifetime, but before my lifetime. In the lifetime of my parents and my grandparents. In the stories that we read in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The ways that God has been active long before I, long before I came onto the scene. God was already moving and working. And so he says, sing the songs of Moses. But he also says, sing the songs of the Lamb. And the song of the Lamb is our present experience with God. This is so important for us to remember. It's not just about what God has done in the past, but it's about what God is doing right here, right now, among his people. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8 through 11, we see this picture in heaven of all the angels and the elders in heaven are gathered around, and in walks one, the scripture says, that was like a lamb who was slain, and everything stops. And all the angels and all the elders sing, Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lamb who was slain, worthy of our worship and our praise. This is a song of God doing something in our midst. What is it that God is doing in your life right now? Maybe it's something hard. Maybe it's a difficult season that you're going through. And maybe as you are going through this difficult season in your life, you can see the hand of God moving and working, and you're so grateful for it. Maybe you can't see the hand of God moving, but you're desperate to see his hand moving in your life. The song of the Lamb is a song of present experience with God. It's what God is doing. Do you know that in the Bible, more than seven times, the, the, Bible, the biblical writers tell us to sing a new song to the Lord. Listen to what it says, Psalm 33, 3. Sing to him a new song, play skillfully, and shout for joy. Psalm 40, verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. See, the Bible says, don't just depend on yesterday's grace. Don't just depend on what God did in the past. Look for the experience that God has for you today. What is it that God is doing in your life right now? You see, church, we have to sing the songs of Moses because we have to remember what it is that God has done. We have to be able to see the way God has worked in the past to know how he will continue to work in the future. 
but we have to sing the songs of the Lamb as well. Songs that are new expressions of what God's activity is doing in our church, in our midst, in the lives of people around us, in our own hearts and lives. We have to sing both. And Advent is a time on the calendar when Christians have set aside to remember what it is like to long for God. That deep sense of dissatisfaction that you don't know what will ultimately bring fulfillment to it, that is a desire God has placed within you to worship him. Christmas is a time to worship fully. What would it look like this Christmas? What would it look like for you and for your family if Christmas was not defined by busyness, by shopping, by financial stress, by debt, by more concerts, more events? What if Christmas for you was, was defined by worshiping God fully? What would that look like for you? What would it look like if we spent more time in worship together and privately than we did at the altar of the mall this Christmas? Worshiping fully. And listen, here's my invitation for you. Because Christmas time, Advent, don't get lost in the nostalgia of Christmas and think that Advent is just a longing, a time where we remember where the world longed for Christ to come. But remember that God still comes. He comes to you right where you are. He's a God who's active and alive and he wants to work in your heart and in your life. God comes. So this morning as we begin to worship, here's my challenge for you. I I want to invite you just to bow your heads. And maybe after all the busyness of the last few days and Thanksgiving and uh, maybe too much food, maybe for just a few minutes... To focus on the deepest longing of your heart. What is it? Maybe for you there's some relationship problem. Maybe for you there is a financial issue. Maybe it's something with work. Maybe there's something inside of you that hurts, a pain that you can't resolve. But right now, for for just this one hour together, I want to invite you to focus your hearts and your minds on what it is for God to come For God to come into your heart and into your life, into that that place of deepest need and to meet you there. Will you focus your hearts and your minds with me as we worship together? Hello, um, I'm Fahim Gurgis and this is my family. This is Chandra Gurgis and this is my son Ethan and my daughter Reina. Today, we begin our celebration of Advent. On these four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we will rejoice in the great gift that is ours in Jesus Christ. To help us worship fully, we will light the candles of the Advent wreath, which signify that Jesus is the light of the world. The evergreens that surround the candles remind us that he is life, and he brings life to us all. All of this is arranged in a circle, because life in Christ has no end. Each Sunday, we will light an additional candle. Then, on Christmas Eve, we will light all the candles, including the center one, the Christ candle. As we do, we rejoice that Christ has come to us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. On this first Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of hope. Hope is our assurance that God will finish all he has started. 
Hope is our confidence that he will do all he has promised. All of the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is our hope today and forever. Blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. In our hope of Christ's return, we find our strength for each new day as we prepare to welcome Christ into our world and into our hearts here at Christmas. Heavenly Heavenly Father, Father, as we light this candle and begin this new Advent season, shine the light of your hope into our hearts and into our world. Grant us grace and mercy so that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus, our Redeemer who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So music is certainly uh, an instrument, a tool that we can use to draw ourselves close to God, to bring glory and honor to him. But true worship is more than a song. True worship is a way of life. And that's so important for us as a church to understand. If we're going to worship fully this Christmas, we have to understand that worship is more than the songs we sing, the rituals, the routines we go through. It's a way that we choose to live. How many of you are familiar with something called the War on Christmas? Anybody heard of the War on Christmas? Yeah. It's something that I think the news media has stories that are prepackaged that they start airing about October or November. And they'll talk about all the ways in which there is a war on Christmas, you know, whether it's Target associates not saying uh, Merry Christmas, saying Happy Holidays instead, or, or the red Starbucks cup. I'm not even sure what that's about, but you, maybe you've seen some of it on social media. I, I want to challenge you with something, and that is this, that as Christians, so often we are satisfied for simple symbols of Christmas and miss the true meaning of it. It is not Starbucks and Target and Walmart's responsibility to put Christ in Christmas. It's yours. And it's mine. And so part of what we understand by worshiping fully means that worshiping fully is more than a song that we sing. It's a lifestyle. It's a way that we choose to live. We carry Christ into Christmas and into the Advent season. Maybe you've seen something like this. I can remember one time standing in a store and uh, there was a a woman wearing a uh, bright shirt, you know, all fashion senses go out the window at Christmas time. You can wear anything. She was wearing this, uh, this bright green sweater that said, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season, right? And you think, oh, man, that's, that's great. You know, a walking billboard for what Christmas is all about. The only problem was she was spending her time in the aisles berating a young teenage clerk because they didn't have the toys she wanted to buy her grandchild on the shelf. Or the man who was standing in front of me at another department store and, uh, and went at the end, the, the cashier said, you know, happy holidays. And, and the man said, it's not happy holidays, it's Merry Christmas. As if he was confronting her and daring her to say, and I just look at that and I think to myself, is that really what it's come to? 
Is that really the way we think that we're putting Christ in Christmas? Is by uh, taking on some false sense that somehow the way that the corporate America portrays Christmas is, is going to make Chris, the true celebration of Christmas more meaningful? See, we settle for tokens and, sac- and sacrifice the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. I'm afraid that that verse is all too appropriate for so many Christians at the, during the Christmas season in particular. That, that we come near to God with our mouth and we honor him with our lips and the things that we say and the shirts that we wear and the things we post on social media, but at the end of the day, we're going through rituals and routines that are just designed by men that have nothing to do with truly worshiping the Christ child at Christmas time. See, to worship fully means to give everything to God, holding nothing back, more than a song. It means that we worship God fully by the way we serve other people, by the way we react to the least of these who are among us. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now, anytime you see a verse that starts with therefore, you should ask the question, what is it there for? It it means it refers to something that went on before. And Paul just spent all of Romans chapter 11 telling us, describing to us, all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. The way that Jesus suffered and died for our salvation. And so he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy... Because of all that God has done for you, offer your, what's that next word? Bodies. Not just your mouth, not just your lips, not just your song, but offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, it doesn't require your death, it requires your life. It requires the things that you do, the way you react, the way you interact with people. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then he says this, this is your true and proper worship. What it means to worship God fully, it means that we walk out of this place motivated to live life differently, to engage with people, not just with the words of our mouth. The words of our mouth are important, yes, but the actions that we, that we show, the, the love that we demonstrate with people. If you want to see Jesus in the Christmas celebration, then take him into every place you go this Christmas season. Worship him. This is one of the reasons why uh, at Southside and at many churches uh, in our country, we focus on missions during the Christmas season. If you ever wonder, well, why, why do you take the Christmas season and focus on supporting international missions and, and missionaries around the world? It's because we believe that our missionaries demonstrate for us what it means to worship fully, to, to worship as a living sacrifice, that they give their lives, they give their time, their talent, their treasure on the mission field. We participate in something every year called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, a way that all of us who are here enjoying Christmas with our friends and family can give to support missionaries around the world to meet the desperate need of a world who so, so much needs the gospel. So this Christmas season, as we participate in the Advent conspiracy, as we turn Christmas upside down, part of the way we worship fully is by giving ourselves first to the Lord and his work around the, the globe. 
So if worship is about more than a song, if it's about coming back to the heart uh, of the meaning of all things, which is found in Jesus Christ, then it's important for us to understand something about Christmas, what it is that we actually celebrate at Christmas time. Uh, maybe you've heard the word before, it's kind of a churchy word, but it's the word incarnation or incarnate. And maybe you've wondered what that word meant. Let me give you what I think is the, the simplest definition of it. It's the divine with skin. The divine with skin. In other words, God took on flesh and came and lived among us. This is what John said in, in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh, the word being God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then John goes on and says, and we have beheld his glory the glory of the one and only Son of God who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, listen to what God did for us at Christmas time. He entered into our reality. We don't worship a God who expects us to come to Him, to fight our way to Him. Instead, we worship a God who says, Let me bridge the gap and let me come to you. That's the incarnation. And here's what you need to know. This is a truth, uh, regardless of what you worship, we become what we worship. Worship transforms us. You will become what you worship. If you worship money, you will become one who is centered. Your life centers around money. If you worship fame and prestige, you will become one whose life centers around the desire for fame and recognition and prestige. We become the thing we worship. This is why God came in among us. The incarnation of God in flesh. It, John goes on to say it was like a light that has dawned. It would be like going into a dark room and looking around and you can't see anything until God turns on a light and suddenly you can see the reflection of what it was we were created to be from the beginning of time. That we were created in God's image. And that image was scarred by sin in the world. And so Jesus came that we could see an example of what it means to be truly human. This is why Jesus said, come follow me. Become like me. That's what it means to follow after Christ, to become like him. Romans 12, 2 goes on and says, remember it says that our true worship is to offer our living selves, a living sacrifice to God. 12, 2 goes on and says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, at Christmas time, we so often, Christians, church, we so often conform to the pattern of the world, don't we? We just fall in step with the rest of the world and their secular celebration of Christmas. The Advent conspiracy is about being transformed. The Advent conspiracy says, no, through true worship, through worshiping God fully, we are going to be transformed in our minds. We are going to become like Christ. You and I become like him in the world so that people can see him. To worship him fully means that we're transformed into the image of Jesus and you and I become the Christ in Christmas everywhere you go. My prayer for all of us is that we will recognize the light has come into the world and we have seen and beheld the glory of God. We've heard his invitation to come and follow him, to become like him through worship and by doing so to carry the light into the darkness of the world. May we worship him fully, not just at Christmas time, but throughout the year, that people would see the glory of God in you, in me, in his church.
I'm going to invite you to stand together as we have our benediction. My prayer for you, my prayer for us as we leave today is that we will worship God fully, that we will be living sacrifices, that we will carry the Christ into Christmas this Advent season. Grace and peace be with you.